Hey Ali, so to introduce myself quickly, I am a professional sailor. I race predominantly long distance, we call short-handed kind of ocean racing. So maybe I'm on my own on, on the boat or just two of us think, you know, Ellen MacArthur kind of round the world stuff, transatlantic stuff. And um, I've been doing that for a number of years. Of course, I'm also type 1 diabetic. I was diagnosed when I was 21, which was now, well, just coming up six years ago. And of course, that's a yeah, huge part of my story. I love adventure, love to get outside, love to be active. And I love all things tech, especially diabetes tech, of course. So yeah, pumped to be on the show. Okay, good morning, Jack. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hey, Ali. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm sat here on a nice sunny morning, which makes a change at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the sunshine kind of makes everything better. Of, yeah, um, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I was just I was telling you, obviously, just a few minutes ago that it was absolutely chucking it down with rain. We've kind of had everything here. We've had, you know, we had snow for about two weeks, probably more snow than I've, than I've ever seen. And then now it's just absolutely miserable. But where, whereabouts are you at the minute? So I'm in Surrey, just outside London, which, um, yeah, d- down to the south. But uh, yeah. to be fair, it's been the same here. It's been grim. And uh, I-, I guess, you know, with everything that's going on, it's nice to kind of have a bit of up- uplifting sunshine. <laughs> Take what you can get, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I-, I think it's definitely been tougher in the winter months with the whole lockdown situation when it's starting to get dark at three o'clock in the afternoon and <laughs> you sort of get- getting light pretty late in the morning. So... Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, things starting to pick up a bit. But no, look, um, you know, as I was saying, I'm 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 incredibly excited to, to have the opportunity to speak to you. Obviously, I was kind of made, I guess, first aware of you a few months ago. Um, but obviously, for those that don't know, uh, you're obviously a, a British solo sailor. I'll obviously let you explain, and I'm sure you can do a far better job than I could. But I know you've competed in you know a variety of events across the world. So tell me a little bit. I guess a brief summary of, of 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 your career and 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 sort of where that's taken you you know so far. Yeah, sure. It's um, <laughs> it's pretty niche. I can give you that. So <laughs> don't feel bad that you don't know much about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I've been sailing for who knows how long. I started sailing when I was six years old. I guess you know. Usually, you think with a sport like that that you get into it through, I don't know, your family do it and you sort of get put in a boat from a young age. And um, I think people consider it to be quite an inaccessible thing. The reality Mm. is quite different. And for me, I I don't come from a sort of sailing background. I actually grew up in Bedfordshire. So uh, fairly long way from the sea. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, my my mum took me to a sort of local open day at a little sailing club nearby in an old... um, it's an old reservoir that had been a brickworks and really not very glamorous, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I got put in a boat and I think she thought it'd be a cool experience. Got a twin brother as well. And she t- took the two of us along and I just loved it, you know, and, and it's been, it's been like a passion ever since uh, where, you know, how it gets with sport and, you know, the, the love of being on the water then became the, the sort of passion for the competition and always, you know, loved going fast and trying to go as fast as possible. And then, and then the racing stuff. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, the start of a long journey, which went through 
was involved through, you know, junior and youth stuff. We've got great pathways in the UK into the Olympic Games because we're, we're quite strong in the Olympics in, in sailing. So came through all the, the kind of squads and organized training through my like early teens when I was at school and then had a little bit of a shift of focus into um, what I describe as, you know, long distance sailing. So moving into bigger boats, moving more into yacht racing than dinghy sailing and um, went off to uni, <laughs> didn't really want to go to uni, <laughs> kind of wanted to, wanted to just go sailing, but I, uh, I think I knew that, that that's what I was going to end up doing. Um, mm. I, I figured that uni would be, I went to study engineering and, and the idea was that, you know, the stuff I'd learn on that course would be useful for me on the boat. Right. Yeah. I was sailing pretty technically advanced boats and, you know, when you put these things out in the middle of the ocean, long way from help and you're pushing design limits tech limits you know your own physical limits and then you're in the middle of you know unpredictable weather systems things go wrong mm. so um you've got to be able to fix them you've got to be quite self-sufficient so yeah that was the idea there i lasted a year, <laughs> I <lasted> a year. <laughs> and then um i left to join a to join a team which was just a, an awesome experience you know i was always sailing with guys that were older than me much more experienced than me some of the top top guys in the world and i learned a huge amount a huge amount sailing sailing on teams you know teams of kind of five to ten people uh winning some races which was cool won some big races set some world records um which was <laughs> just just yeah. casually drop just drop that in <laughs> just drop that in jack that's fine <laughs> like it's kind of a blur you know it's it was a lot of fun yeah um well and, and you know it's, it's still sort of going on but that that's kind of the base of my career and I, I guess obviously a big part of that in, in this conversation is in the midst of that I was diagnosed with type one yeah so yeah I guess we talk about that in a little more detail later but um I guess the the key point is it didn't it didn't de derail what was happening yeah um, in yeah. terms of my sporting career there were a few bumps in the road of course but, um it uh yeah it didn't didn't kind of stop the trajectory that was on which is where i am now so now i i basically moved into what was always the dream for me which is um this like you mentioned earlier the solo stuff so race big fast boats um long distance so across oceans and usually do it now on my own so mm. I, I kind of run my own team and have my own sponsors and um all that exists to, to kind of make that possible and that that you know that sort of comes a little bit later in the career, just because the level of experience you need to sort of back yourself to go and do that is is a little bit more than you know when you're fresh faced and just dropped out of uni. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And I think you know you kind of hit the nail on the head there that you know the assumption that I guess sailing is maybe a sort of generational thing, and and if you have family that do it, or if you're you know connected to people that that are involved in it that's sort of how you end up in it but it sounds like that was sort of a very different story for yourself and I guess you know as you've gone through your career you, you touched on it there that it's I, I imagine sort of finding a team and finding sponsors sort of becomes increasingly important you know to be able to to work with the equipment that you need to, to be doing these races and to have access to the to the type of sort of boats and and various other equipment that you need to be competitive at that level, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's an expensive sport, right? Mm. But I, th I think the what people miss is that 
actually when you get to a certain level and you'll know this right any sport can get expensive of course yeah at the, at the grassroots level sailing's not as expensive as we think it is in this country it is accessible you can get into it you can go to a local club and you know you can borrow a boat from you know the clubs have boats or you can rent one real cheap and there are great kind of organizations and pathways into the sport but there's this um preconceived misconceived i like preconception of the sport i think in the uk that sort of sees it as a bit elitist and and mm. it's really not the case and and it's a shame because well, look, I, I love the sport but i'm a huge advocate for what it can do you know you take a six-year-old like i was when i started you chuck them in a boat on their own and you push them away from shore they've got to be um you know self-sufficient they're accountable they're responsible they've yeah. got to figure out you know how to stay safe how to make the thing go but but like what other environment can you put a six-year-old in where you know it's totally up to them mm. and uh you know the, the repercussions of that like they're totally responsible so you learn a lot from doing it and, and then you know put them in the boat with someone else and they start to learn teamwork and all that stuff so it's um yeah i think it's a great sport at any level but then yeah at the top end i mean my my day-to-day <laughs> it's a lot about you know finding sponsors working with partners yeah, and yeah. fundraising and trying to put the whole package together as much mm. as it is about of course I train hard and and it comes and goes in phases you know when I'm building up to a big race it'll be um, more about training and that kind of preparation and then I go back to the um back to the drawing board with the project so it's interesting yeah. lots, no, of, of course. lots of different stuff to do yeah no and it, and in terms of that sort of you know that day-to-day that you mentioned in sort of how 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 does that sort of training regime look for you you know i'm 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 gonna hold my hands up and say in terms of the sort of training that you do i'm i'm sort of unaware and and sort of not not up to date in terms of how that would look you know for a normal week for yourself and um, obviously you said you spend a lot of time well there's a lot of time taken up with with the sort of research into the sponsors and, and other things like that but in terms of the training you do you know to get yourself to a point where you're you're physically ready to go what does that sort of look like throughout the week for you yeah that's a good question it's so difficult to answer (laughs) (laughs) um i I mean the the physical requirements are are pretty serious you know the boats are big and powerful and they're all manually powered so um you know the the kind of boats i'm sailing now are 60 feet long and um max sail area is six to seven hundred square meters that's like three tennis courts so you're winding Mm. up you know five plus tons of load on an individual individual you know sheet piece of rope right yeah Um, yeah. everything's yeah everything's manually powered so and and these boats are doing 40 plus mile an hour so (laughs) they're pretty serious bits of kit and so you you're, you're constantly working hard basically to to keep the thing on on that limit of you know performance and yeah that's moving sales around and then and then you've got the sales and, you, and you're changing sales as well so you have um kind of an inventory of sales that you can put up in the air or take down mm-hmm. so you're always changing them so you've got the best sale up mm-hmm. and the sales weigh 100 kilos each so i guess to break down the physical requirements you've got you need to be strong enough to move those sales Mm-hmm. And that's your like baseline strength requirement. Yeah. Um, any more weight on any more strength on top of that is probably redundant because then you come down to the fact that it's endurance. So you could be doing this for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be able to sustain, you know, the, the work rate 
which is then incredibly high just living on the boat you know you're pulling g's just living on the boat it can be incredibly physical just to <laughs> stay upright when the thing's throwing you around yeah um, i think on average probably consuming six plus thousand calories in a 24-hour period wow. um and yeah just always always working and and then the next thing is like injury prevention and recovery so you need to be able to you know recover while you're racing of course um, and then you need to be able to recover between races and you need to be able to <laughs> survive the beating without getting injured yeah because so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just an incredibly you know it sounds like an incredibly unique situation to be in you know for whether it's a number of days or <clears throat> as you say a number of weeks you know in terms of as you say, the physical toll on you. And then I, I think I, I, it was either in a podcast you were on or, or something I read that you were saying, you know, it was, it, it was sort of 20 to 40 minutes of sleep every few hours. And in terms of recovery, you know, that sort of doesn't lend itself particularly well <laughs> to, you know, to, to, to keeping you in top shape for that length of time. So I suppose a certain element of training is, is, is getting your body ready for that rather than just sort of generally fit and, and strong as well it, absolutely yeah yeah the, you know the sleep's a big issue it's mm. um it's brutal you, you, yeah 20 to 40 minutes every two to four hours that's not a good day <laughs> if um if things are changing a lot if the weather's changing you could go 36 hours without sleeping at all and that all accumulates and, and so your level of fatigue is just always high and you, you basically end up operating at like 60 percent capacity yeah. Yeah. and so everything kind of slows down um so yeah you, you're trying to train for that which is a lot of like base level fitness you know a lot of aerobic capacity stuff mm -hmm. so i know you've been spending a lot of time on the bike recently um <laughs> i like to get out on the bike it's also actually relatively new to me just in the, the last kind of nine months since we went into lockdown yeah. but great great way to you know get outside and keep fit so that that kind of stuff's really good Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, loads of mobility work. You've got to look at the strength requirements so you can lift the stuff you need to lift. Um, but so much of it's just about robustness. Of course. Um, making yeah. sure that you, yeah, you can cope with the beating that you're going to take. But then, yeah, throw that into yeah, how much time you have for, for training <laughs> and for trying to manage all the other aspects of the campaign. So day to day, to, to actually answer your question, <laughs> is... Um, it's so varied and that that's probably one of the hardest things about what I do, you know, trying to manage the condition like type one is that, you know, no day is ever the same. So I have structured training plans and that depends on kind of what phase I'm in, you know, at the moment, obviously can't, can't be out racing. So mm -hmm. I'm behind the computer trying to work on you know, all of the, the partnership stuff and work on the, the campaign. Mm -hmm. And then that means I can sort of work that around structured, structured training plan which would be you know a couple of hours a day um and then in the build-up to a race i'm spending a lot more time on the water training on the water so mm -hmm. you can factor that in to obviously any physical training so it's pretty physical but it's less structured yeah um, so then more work on your recovery stuff even evening recovery sessions um and then i race and then you usually have a bit of a bit of a break after a race or i can um after you've after you've deserved it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly because i imagine you know you were talking about that sort of that sustaining that you know that physical toll on you but it, but i almost imagine 
in many ways it's been able to you know sustain the mental toll and I imagine in a way sailing at times particularly during competition must be as much of a, a mental battle you know as it is a physical battle especially during you know during those those sort of longer ones where you're when you're on the water for weeks at a time oh yeah <laughs> it's all it's all mental yeah it's, um and again i think you, know, you look at a lot of elite level sport and you can say the, the, the mental side becomes almost more important and again mm. you look at the cyclists and what they do is absolutely incredible and they're pushing themselves to physical limits but i think you know that they'll all talk about the the mental side of it and how important that is to be able to to sustain those efforts for such long periods of time i think the sailing is a little bit different because you know the physical limits are sort of more about just you know dealing with doing what you need to do and just dealing with the environment you're in yeah yeah and i think that probably means that the mental aspect is there's even more emphasis on that because it's about you know it's about being resilient it's about just continuing to push day in day out no matter how you feel over a long period of time that's tough mm. and then I think the most important thing and I, I love talking about this stuff because I think about sort of the things that I need to be good at when I'm on the boat and they're all things that I also think I need to be good at to manage my condition well mm -hmm. all the time. So yeah, that stuff. And, and then it's being able to be level-headed and to, it's a very strategic sport. So it doesn't matter how fast you go, you know, if you go the wrong way, then you're not going to win the race. So, and that's because we're trying to navigate complex weather systems and the boats perform differently in different, different weather conditions. So if you're in more wind, then you probably go faster than a competitor who's in less wind. Yeah. And we're working on weather forecasts. We all know that weather forecasts aren't always correct. <laughs> so we're trying to manage the forecasts that we have and pick the best um, strategic tactical options to get to the finish line fastest. Yeah. Yeah. And then a big element of that is also knowing when to push really hard and when to keep some in the tank and recover a little bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you're basically always trying to make the best decisions. So the sleep's a great example. You know should you be up on deck pushing as hard as possible because going really fast in that instance is really important or should you go and get 10 minutes of sleep and sacrifice a bit of boat speed in order to make a better decision in 10 minutes time because you know the potential gains of that or the potential risk of making a bad decision is um, more significant yeah so, yeah no for sure and, and as you say we'll come on to it shortly but in terms of that you know that sort of quick reaction you know thinking on your feet sort of being able to think logically under pressure you know there's obviously slight transfers there to, to to type one and and being able to do that you know regularly throughout the day of course um before we move on to that i guess you know it would be difficult not to mention <laughs> the coronavirus pandemic obviously <laughs> um as much as you know i'm sure we're all sick of hearing it but in terms of the pandemic, you know, I've obviously seen on your on your social media that, that you managed to compete a few times throughout 2020. Um, how, how did the pandemic sort of affect affect your, you, you know, your sailing um, career? And, and, and how is, you know, is how is 2021 looking? Is it um, looking, you know, potentially optimistic this year? Or is it going to be a bit of a bit of a tricky year again? 
Yeah, it's it's a great example of all, like all those things we just talked about, isn't it? Trying mm. to remain positive and of course, um, yeah. Trying to you know do what you can, and it's the same for same for everyone. It's the same for you. Um, yeah, the the sailing has been affected. Obviously, we, we missed racing last year that was planned. Mm-hmm. Very lucky to be able to get out and do some racing. I always consider myself lucky to to do any the racing that you know I get to do, um, but especially last year. Um, this year it, it looks better, but we just don't know, right? Um, yeah. So it's about planning for planning for the worst and hoping for the best. And you know, it's a good opportunity to. So for me, my um, the 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 next kind of big big goal is to compete in a race called the Vendée Globe, which is uh, stole solo. my question, Jack. You stole my. Oh question. no! <laughs> no fire, fire away! You crack on. You, you can still ask it. <laughs> no, I was going to come on to it later, but no, no, carry on, carry on. Yeah, so the the Vendée Globe is uh, it's like the pinnacle of the sport. It's solo, yeah. non-stop, yeah, around the world in these sixty-foot boats. Um, big challenge. I mean, less than 100 people have ever done it. Well, I've ever actually sailed non-stop solo and on sister around the world, even outside of the race. Wow. Um, so significantly less people than have been into space. Yeah. Um, and that's just because it's, yeah, it's such a challenge, you know, the duration of it, the, the kind of oceans you have to sail in the Southern Ocean and just getting your boat around the course is challenging one piece. Mm-hmm. And then there's the competitive element. Um, but basically, yeah, this, this, this time has given me a great opportunity to sort of sit back and, you know, really look at what my campaign is for, for that race, which is in 2024. Um, there's a sort of build up, you know, there's a circuit every year and there's races to do, but really taking a step back and thinking about what I want that to look like. And I think what's hugely important for me is that it's not just about the racing, you know, it's about what can I do with that platform? What can I do working with sponsors and partners to mm-hmm. you know, try and use that to, raise awareness education around type 1 diabetes around other stuff you know around all all the mental well-being stuff the resilience stuff mm-hmm. and um how best to do that so i think you know that it's a bit of great opportunity to do that and i think i'm going to be thankful for that in the future for sure yeah of course of course um obviously we've we, we've touched on it quite a few times but like all guests you know on this podcast you're obviously type 1 diabetic yourself um and we'll obviously get onto the difficulties and sort of the unique set of environments in which you you obviously have to operate with type one. Um, but it was only after reading an article a few days ago um, about yourself that I realised you were diagnosed um, not not that long ago. And it was I, I kind of assumed that you'd been diagnosed and then got into the sport of sailing. But in actual fact, it was a very different story. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> um i was 21 it was what five six years ago six years ago yeah. and i was actually in i was doing a race around the um the gulf of arabian gulf it was like a three week long kind of multi-stage offshore race and you know all the classic symptoms right you lost a load of weight yeah thirsty the whole time going to the toilet all the time like genuinely fatigued i think it was kind of funny because you know i sort of put a lot of that a lot of that down to just the, the hardship of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nutrition is hard and it's tiring. And we were racing in it's like 40 degree 
heat in the in the daytime so i figured that's why i was drinking lots of water and then uh yeah i got home realized i'd lost 20 kilos which i probably didn't have to lose in the first place <laughs> went to um went to my gp and they sent me straight to a and e and that was that wow. <laughs> so yeah it was i guess i think the big thing for me was you know it's such a big thing to to sort of get your head around mentally i think mm-hmm. i was very lucky because I was so far down this rabbit hole of this is what I want my career to be that I just sort of, it didn't, didn't occur to me that it would stop me. And therefore it didn't feel like such a massive thing. I was just, you know, I'm going to deal with this and figure out how to make it work. And I've got this goal that I want to go and do. So I, I don't know. I think having, having a goal like that, to sort of put it all into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Helped me like what, what was your experience? Because you were diagnosed quite young, weren't you? And you still went and did all, you know, your, your swimming stuff and yeah, high level. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why I was so interested, you know, in when I read that, I was so interested because I think obviously for myself, I was diagnosed at eight um, yeah. and then I went on, you know, I, I, was, I was swimming sort of a few times a week at eight, but it wasn't, um, obviously wasn't at any high level. And then, you know, the, all the things I kind of achieved in the sport were done with type one. Um, so I learned, you know, how to race. I learned how to compete. I learned how to train hard with type one. And I guess the difference is there that, you know, everything I've done, I've sort of learned how to do it alongside the condition. And I think, you know, what, what I imagine would be difficult, as you say, you were sailing and there's obviously a set routine of how you do things. And then to incorporate type one into that, I imagine is a lot harder than for myself where, um, you know, I just sort of learned with it. Um, And it's something I've talked about with various other people, just in terms of life as well. You know, when you're diagnosed slightly older, 21, like you say, um, you know, you've got a very set way of doing certain things, but by the sounds of it, that goal that you had almost meant, you know, meant that you kind of pushed it to one side and said, well, I'm I'm just going to deal with this and and continue on my you know on my quest to, to, to achieve that goal which i think is quite quite a useful well an incredibly useful thing to have for someone who is diagnosed yeah that's really interesting i think that there's kind of two sides to that and um i think you know one of the things that i realized which is sort of meaning just a minute ago is you know why i feel so lucky is that there are it, it can feel quite daunting to go out and do things clearly when you're trying to manage a condition like type one, mm-hmm. but clearly there's enough examples of people that, you know, are incredibly successful and reach the top level of whatever they do with the condition. It, it really doesn't need to hold anyone back, but, you know, I think if I'd been diagnosed younger, I, I don't know if I'd ended up, end up doing what I do mm-hmm. because it's a big jump to make. And, and, well, you know, when, when I was first diagnosed, there were rules, rules in the sport that would have said I, I couldn't compete. And that, that, you know, could have deterred me. And you hear stories like, I don't know if you follow Muhammad Ali, the, the boxing, yeah, the yeah, yeah, diabetic yeah. boxer, he's... Um, Had all sorts of hassle, and, didn't he? Yeah. Exactly, you know, getting a license and, and yeah. all that stuff. So, you know, kudos for you for, for being diagnosed and then getting stuck into the swimming with that, mm-hmm. um, I think is you know, that, that takes some, um, but yeah, then the flip side is, yeah, <laughs> you have to adapt, but I think what a great lesson. And, um, you know, again, kind of lucky that I sort of had that attitude from the sport already. 
and and so I just considered everything I just considered it like another problem that you have to solve which is the same with you know developing the technology on the boat or trying to make yourself you know fitter whatever it's there's a, a problem that you have to solve and what are the tools that you have to do that and mm. you, know, you, you can't change it so it might take a little bit longer than you expect but you know you've got to go out and try so it was just yeah figuring out what I needed to do to manage my condition in that environment and then going out and trying things and eventually finding a solution that worked mm. and, and something you mentioned earlier on um, in the conversation you remember you saying that that sailing in many ways it's sort of as you say help help that type type 1 diabetes management and you know it's something that I that I've said quite a few a few times to people that in terms of you know when I was competing in sport and when I was swimming my my swimming you know impacted my diabetes but my diabetes also impacted my swimming you know there was there was the obvious you know it was difficult at times and training took a lot more preparation and you know and 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 I'm, you're obviously well aware of that and in terms of how you know how diabetes impacted my swimming but also my my outside life you know it, it's it's those lessons you were talking about it's that ability to sort of take on information quickly you know react to it um you know be resilient be self-motivated no one else is gonna you know make sure that you're taking care of yourself once you get a bit older so i, I think it's 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 kind of it's looking at those positives as well it's sort of thinking um you know, okay, it's not, nobody wants to be diagnosed with type one diabetes, but actually what are the positives that have come from it? Cause I know for me that I probably wouldn't take as much care of myself as I, as I do now, if I wasn't type one diabetic, maybe I would, maybe that's a silly thing to say, but in terms of the sort of um, that resilient nature and that ability to just get on with things and, and take things as they come, I think that does, that does come from a, from a demand from type one diabetes. Yeah, it, it, that's so important. And um, I'm a huge advocate for that kind of positive mindset, but, but it's all true. Mm. And, it, you know, like you just said, it, it impacts your, impacted your swimming in the same way that swimming impacted your diabetes. The, I think being type one makes me a better athlete. And that's because, I mean, I think for ev everything, but you know, certainly for what I do, you're the, the, especially with the solo stuff, the, the, the sailor on the boat is the limiting factor because yeah. you know you're pushing so hard and you're so at your limits um and so you know forcing yourself to have that extra level of introspection to be self-aware it's all about self-awareness isn't it mm -hmm. and so living with type one makes you intrinsically self-aware because you're always trying to you know figure out <laughs> how your you know how your levels are what you've eaten you're, you're thinking about all that stuff and so i think about it more on the boat which means i look after myself better which means i perform better i'm more aware of you know what what that balance is and so i can make better decisions and yeah absolutely it's the same in everyday life and there are days where <laughs> you just wish you didn't have to think about it obviously but um i think keeping that perspective of what it actually gives you that other people don't have and a big part of it for me and i don't know if this works for other people but you know making it part of part of your identity that it's not it's not the only part of your identity for sure but it doesn't define you but it um it's something to be proud of you know mm -hmm. how you've how you've coped with you know those challenges and i think that's that's really important for me no absolutely for sure and I, and i think to be honest that's kind of at the heart of what you know why this why this podcast started you know to, to go on off on, on slight tangent here but that 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 was kind of the idea was that i 
I'd been so, I guess, cautious and kind of um, very wary of, of being involved, I guess, in the sort of type one community. And certainly when I was younger, um, I kind of didn't want anything to do with it and didn't tell anyone I was diabetic. And, and, and that's what sort of how it unfolded for many years. And then it was only really in the last sort of year or two when I started to sort of be more aware that there was actually, you know, pretty amazing people doing very amazing things with type one diabetes. And then, you know, this, this, as I say, this podcast started just from an interest I had in, in speaking to people that are doing great things with type one. So no, I think, I think for sure, I think you, you, you bang on there. It's, it's not, you know, it's not about letting it define you. You're obviously much more than a diabetic, but it's equally, you know, it's very valid to, to be proud of what you've achieved despite having the condition. Um, and, and no, and I think that's, I think that's very important. Um, I, I guess coming back to the, you know, the, the, the solo um, sailing, I've obviously seen you discuss, you know, your diabetes management at sea. Um, but, it, but in terms of, you know, when I think of type one, I think of my routine, I think of, um, you know, my diet, my exercise, my sleep, all of those things being quite carefully managed just to make things easier for myself. You know, I know what works and what doesn't work. But I imagine at sea, it's a very unique situation in terms of, you know, the little sleep you're getting, I imagine it's a very, very constrained diet. Um, so is it a case of sort of, you know, as we've talked about thinking on your feet, or is there a rough plan that you sort of go into each competition with? Yeah, that, <laughs> again, such a good question. Um, freestyle, <laughs> like a freestyle. Um, it's like, yeah, again, it's like a lot of things. About so, you know, I'm risk averse. You have to be risk averse in, in I think, in my game and also in life with diabetes right <laughs> you have to know what the risks are before you go and take them and, and this is the, the the old adage about the solo sailor who, you know people think you're mad to go and sail on your own across an ocean but the reality is if you were if you're actually mad you wouldn't get very far because <laughs> you've got to manage these complex complex risk scenarios yeah. and and get yourself <laughs> out the other side so yeah managing managing diabetes on top of all that is is really hard because you can't have a framework that you adhere to um, stringently because you just get thrown off course and and you've got to be ready for that you've got to be ready to get thrown off course or you um, you know you panic and and you've got to you've got to be ready for that so you don't sort of you know elicit an emotional response that then controls you and get upset by it mm -hmm. so there has to be a kind of broad strategy um, you know I know what works for me um you know i use an insulin pump mm -hmm. which is incredibly important to me on the boat because as i learned when i first first started sailing when i after been diagnosed you know when you're getting thrown around in the middle of the boat trying to inject yourself is <laughs> just very difficult <laughs> and if it's not easy you don't do it when you need to yeah so you've got to yeah. make your life as easy as possible so that when you're you know, when you haven't set for 36 hours and you're physically broken you still do the things you need to do. So the pump's great for that. Obviously, you know, CGM, I use uh, Freestyle Libra, yeah. which is amazing um, to have access to that data. Again, it's just ease of use. Mm -hmm. And I've used some other CGMs and, and they're all great. You know, for me, the Libra, you only have to change it every two weeks. So that, that makes a big difference because actually getting your kit off and changing the sensor is um, quite a big deal on the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, but then to have that data available and I've just started using the Libra two, which has alarms built in as well. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, even if I 
have my hands full and can't check in that minute then <laughs> to get an alarm through is um well I could literally save my life so that's yeah, cool, of course, of um, course. and then it's and then it's about I think it's about philosophy so <laughs> this is not that tangible sorry <laughs> um, and the, <laughs> the philosophy for me is it's about prioritizing so yeah. you know sailing the boat is a management exercise I can't do everything I need to do all the time and so I'm always prioritizing tasks whether that's to sleep so I can make a better decision or whether that's to go and trim a sail or whether that's to eat some food and so I just take my diabetes management and throw that into the mix and so if I'm expecting to go hypo, you know, if I see a down arrow, then it goes to the top of the priority list and it doesn't matter what else is going on as long as it's not you know, a dangerous situation. So it's about always reshuffling that priority list and just ticking off the things at the top of the list, constantly evaluating and reshuffling. Yeah. And um, that's what I ended up, end up doing in, you know, day to day life as well. And that's how I'm, I managed to have such a very routine and still have, good control i think my last hba1c was 38 millimole so it's you know it's tight enough and um i don't i don't eat the same meal you know every day for lunch and no no um, (laughs) but yet you know at the same time there's like it works for me because i'm motivated to do that and there's um there's like a cognitive toll to always doing that and making those decisions so Mm. um sometimes i wish i could just eat the same thing and take the same yeah, <laughs> not units. It's obviously not that simple. And and in terms of the you know the nutrition you know during those competitions, I imagine it's a case of you know lightweight sort of packing what you need to. Um, and I and I kind of laugh because I think you know if I knew I was going on a boat for a week, you know I'd be packing thirty boxes of brunch bars just in case. Do you know what I mean? And I think it, so. It's I guess it's that it comes back to that sort of methodical approach of of preparing for the unexpected you know preparing for the unexpected but but in in a methodical manner with priorities but in in terms of that nutrition how how does that sort of work you know especially during those competitions for you yeah so the the kind of staple food that we eat is for freeze-dried food so it's dehydrated dehydrated meals and Mm -hmm. that's because we we have the ability to desalinate seawater on the boat to to drink right and so by taking the water out of the food and then you just desalinate it as you go and add it. You save a lot of weight. Of course. Um, so yeah, it's all about weight saving. The the kind of numbers that you put on saving a kilogram are just scary, and you don't want to pile that up with <laughs> tins of whatever <laughs> your favorite tinned food is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, and, and I think this is so important, and people can get stuck in that, you know, going all out for the weight saving, and then and then you just make yourself miserable you've got to make yourself comfortable you've got to find that balance that works for you and and because if you don't want to eat the food because it's not nice you know as soon as you're tired and you don't eat it and Mm. and that's dangerous you can get into these vicious cycles of you know not eating enough not fueling yourself you know if if you're a little bit seasick because the emotion's bad then when everyone gets seasick by the way (laughs) it's just different thresholds um then um you don't eat and then you lose your appetite and then it just is like a, a vicious circle. So yeah, I pack stuff that I want to eat. Um, I, I take stuff like, you know, chocolate <laughs> and I eat it when the morale's a bit down. Um, energy bars. Yeah. Cereal bars, all that stuff is really good. I do, you know, and, and I think you, you wrote a post on this quite recently, which is, 
um, sort of rang true. And I think your post was about, you know, allowing yourself to run a bit higher when you were swimming, mm. um, just to have that extra safety margin. And I do that a little bit, but you know, when I'm on the boat and racing, I do a lot of control through what I eat because yeah. it's so unpredictable, you know, when you're going to be exerting yourself and what kind of exercise. And again, you've talked about this, you, you know, whether you're doing some kind of exercise that's heavy lifting and you've got hormones involved and that's going to spike your sugar, or whether you're doing a long duration, low intensity, something that's going to drop your sugar. Mm. It's so difficult to predict what that's going to be on the boat. So, you know, often I'll, I'll eat my way out of whatever that is, um, yeah. which yeah. I'd, I'd be reticent to do that all the time in, in everyday life because I like to be healthy <laughs> and nutrition is important. Yeah. But there are times when um, when that works for me as well because it's the easiest, easiest no, thing for, to do. for sure. And I think I think that's you know I think that's what um, can be frustrating at times. Certainly, you know I know from we're, we're at probably the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of you know latterly in my career I was swimming for you know somewhere between twenty to fifty seconds. Um, so very different training for very different things. But but you know I, I was exactly the same in that. I was prepared to not take a hit on my diabetes management, but I knew, you know, I knew when I retired from swimming or, or stopped swimming competitively, my control would probably improve because, you know, I was prepared to sit at a slightly higher level to allow me, you know, to get maximum performance out of my training sessions. And it sounds like it's sort of the same for yourself in that, you know, it, it's not necessarily a hundred percent the right decision always in terms of your diabetes management, but as you say, it's that priority again, you know, at that time, eating your way out of that hypo or, or eating in accordance to, you know, so sort of manage your levels throughout, throughout the day and night, um, uh, you know, it makes sense for, for the end goal, which is obviously, you know, during that competition to do as well as you can. And, and I think that's sometimes quite a hard thing for people to get their head around. Certainly, you know, there's people I've spoken to who, you know, are pretty horrified about the way that I sort of went about my training and, and, and how much my HbA1c has come down since I stopped, and I think I think again it is that sort of mindset and and ability to to think on your feet and realise that um, you know what the right decision for you is in in that in that specific situation, I guess. Yeah, look, you you've got to be happy, right? And if being happy is doing what you want to do, then you find a way to to do that. It can't can't rule your life, and. Um, that's what I think is so important about, you know, doing the kind of stuff that you're doing with this podcast. And I'm a big fan of the podcast, by the way. It's, um, <laughs> and it's something that I'm, I'm, bad, I'm not great at myself. And you talked earlier about, you know, when you were younger, not wanting to talk so much about diabetes. And I kind of never struggled with that. I've never struggled to share it. Or, but at the same time, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time kind of connecting with other people that have it or talking about their experiences and, you know, the value in doing that I can see is immense because it, it, it shows you how different it is for everyone, which makes it okay to be different for everyone. And it shows you, you know, that your, your control doesn't have to be perfect all the time. And in fact, no one's control is perfect all the time and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. they're, they're like real examples of that. So I think having those discussions and, and you can learn from you know, any, anyone that, that has it, we learn different stuff that, you know, maybe it's something that you never thought about or different experience because everyone has different experiences. So, um, yeah, big yeah, ups. Of course. And, 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 
you know, I, I've said it so many times, I 100% agree that you can learn, you can learn from absolutely anyone, you know, and I think, I think that is a real positive from the, you know, the community, especially on social media, that at the end of the day, everyone's just sort of, um, you know, explaining or, or putting up what, you know, how they manage their condition. Um, and I think there's always going to be things that you can take or you can sort of break down and work out, or maybe that a little bit of that could work for me and, and, and things like that. Um, but no, absolutely. You know, I was, I was telling countless people um, that I was going to be speaking to you this morning, just because, you know, I, I know a lot of type one diabetics now, but um, I still get, you know, I'm, st- I'm still excited to meet and excited to speak to people who, who are doing amazing things because, you know, as I say, I've been diagnosed, you know, 16 years now, but in my head, I still, I can't imagine myself, um, you know, getting on a boat and i mean firstly i can't sail which obviously would be an issue <laughs> yeah. but in terms of get you know if i could managing that around my diabetes i can't imagine doing it and i think that when someone's doing something that you can't even you know fathom in your head then it's really interesting to speak to them so no it's obviously you know it's, it's it's really exciting to be able to do those things i guess to finish off you know and, and sort of along those lines um you know for anyone that that might be looking into getting into sailing or even you know other solo sports but is you know maybe concerned about their impact on their diabetes or their ability to even compete within the sport i guess what would your your sort of last words of advice be for them i think the the biggest thing is well you know firstly you don't set yourself any limits that, that sounds obvious, but that's the most important thing to start with, you know, set those, those goals high, whatever they are. And then the second thing is you just got to be a re- be realistic about what your pathway is to get there. So I, I say this sometimes, you know, sailing around, people say, you know, if you want to go sail around the world on your own with, with type one diabetes, you know, how do you, how do you deal with the fact that that's such a big challenge? How do you prepare for that? Well, it's no different really to sailing around the world on your own without type one, because that's such a big challenge anyway. You wouldn't just go and do it. You, you know, you build experience, you go and sail, you know, across the Atlantic first and, you know, you you get comfortable sailing with other people on the kind of boat that you want to do it on. And then you get comfortable sailing on your own. And then, you know, you you bite off chunks at a time. And so it's exactly the same with type one. It's just another challenge that's thrown into the mix. And so you've got to figure out you know, take the small steps to figure out how you're going to do it. And then by the time you're there, it shouldn't feel like such a, a daunting challenge. And I think with that approach, then that sort of adds context to the, you know, there's literally nothing that you, you can't do with it because yeah. you know, any challenge that you could do without it, you just might need a little bit of extra preparation, a little bit of extra time, you know, some different tools, whatever those tools are that work for you, whether it's tech or, strategies or whatever um and then yeah and and then you you'll be able to to do it successfully so yeah sitting down and mapping all that out i think is really important for sure no definitely and i think you know for people listening that might be you know thinking about you know getting into exercise even with with type 1 diabetes i think that's incredibly useful and and just the mindset you have you know within your sport and within your outside life as well i think that's um you know admirable and 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 as i say you know i've been looking forward to speaking to you for for quite some time and 
I really appreciate you taking the time out um, and fingers crossed, you know, fingers crossed for 2021 um, that it's, that it's a little bit more normal and, and you get a little bit more racing in and um, you know, I'm sure I'll be speaking to you again very soon, but I hope all the preparations towards, you know, 2024 continue to go well um, yeah. and, and on everything you've done so far, um, you know, well done. Very, very, uh, very impressive, but thank you very much for the time this morning, Jack. Well, hey, look, thanks very much. It's been um, it's been insightful for, for me as well. And it's great to chat about it. And um, yeah, best of luck with all the rest of the podcast. But um, yeah, we'll stay in touch for sure. And um, <laughs> I hope 2021 is um, looking brighter for everyone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Have a good day, Jack. Thank you. Cheers, Ali. You too. Bye. Oh, bye.